On this episode of the Nesson Celtics podcast, we discuss, has Robert Williams earned the starting center role, Evan Fournier's historically bad debut as a Celtic, and is Danny Ainge eyeing a bigger roster move in the near future? and welcome to another episode of the Nesson Celtics podcast. I'm Dakota Randall alongside always Adam London. Fortunately, Alex Francisco can't be with us this week, uh, but Adam and I will steer the ship nonetheless. Adam, how you doing? I don't know, man. I just feel like we're just like in constant like Groundhog Day situation with the Celtics. It's just like a little good, but more bad. And it's just round, round and round, rinse, repeat type deal. So just another week of following the Celtics, I guess. Yeah, well, there's a reason for that, and that's because they stink. Uh, the Celtics are not good. So we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, there's a lot to get to since the last time we we spoke. Trade deadline is coming past. Celtics acquired Evan Fournier, who was great last night uh, against the Pelicans. He was awesome. Uh, they did not get Aaron Gordon. He instead went to the Denver Nuggets. Daniel Tice now out of town getting bad foul calls elsewhere. Luke Cornett and Mo Wagner into Boston. Um, we'll get into Luke Cornett in a little bit, the, the green Cornet, as I guess some people are starting to call him. Uh, but it's kind of been another, you know, the roller coaster continues. Celtics split two games with the Bucks, beat the Thunder on the second end of a back-to-back, which people for some reason were excited about that victory. I'd say the Thunder, like if you could, if you had to name two members of the Thunder, could you? No. So they stink. So that winning means nothing to me. And the Celtics last night against the Pelicans have, a pretty ugly loss in my opinion a lot of bad Marcus Smart going on in there Evan Fournier terrible Uh, so we'll get to all that in a little bit but before we kind of get down into specifics Adam just in general uh, over the last week what are your positives for the Celtics well before I get into that I just wanted you mentioned Tice I just thought it was so painfully ironic that in his Bulls debut he had zero fouls which is just like (laughs) it's kind of like it's kind of like everything's been going so bad for the Celtics. A player finally leaves and that kind of positive stuff happens. Right. Uh, but speaking of Tice, um, a relative afterthought in that three-team trade with the Bulls and the Wizards was uh, Luke Cornett. Um, you know, there was a rumor right after the trade went down that the Celtics were going to buy him out uh, to explore the, or release him to get into the buyout market. Ended up hanging on to him. Uh, first two games, uh, he's played 13 minutes in each one. And obviously, you know, nothing that will blow you away, but productive nonetheless. He put up eight and five against the Thunder, uh, 10 and four against the Pelicans on Monday night. And it looks like he can be a decent fit with the Celtics. I mean, for a seven, what is he, seven, two, can stress yep. the floral, but can put up the three. And he doesn't look like an awkward big guy who's just like forced himself to learn threes. He kind of has like a nice, like natural looking stroke from out there. Yeah. I think he's going to fit in well with this rotation. So, you know, at this point, we've been talking about secondary scoring all year with the C's. If they can get even, you know, 10, 11 from Cornette and I, that's a, a major plus for them. Yeah, he he's looks pretty good in these last two games. Uh, I, Mo Wagner is funny to me just because every time they cut to his face on the broadcast, it's just, it makes me laugh. It's just, he's so animated and so demonstrative that it's, it's just every time they, they cut to it, you'll, you'll find something to be entertained by because there's just something about his face. He's got a good sports guy face. Um, 
but I agree with you that I think, uh, you know, I mean, Cornette can stroke it. He's big. He played decent defense last night against the Pelicans. So we'll, we'll see how it goes going forward. I mean, he's undrafted Luke Cornette for a reason, but maybe the Celtics find something here. They, they said they liked him for a while. We'll see. Uh, for my positive, kind of related to that, Robert Williams filling the stat sheet. I mean, everybody's been high on the Time Lord here over the past couple of weeks especially with Daniel Tice now gone, Rob Williams inserted into the starting lineup, taking on an increased role. I still have my doubts whether he should be the starting center going forward. Maybe he he's better in a bench role, you know, coming in and giving that energy, kind of changing the game in a lot of ways. But regardless, it's impossible to, not to deny how well he's playing. I mean, he the other night he almost had a five-by-five, five, which I think the last Celtic to do that maybe was in like the 80s. You have to fact check me on that, but you know, he almost had over five points, blocks, rebounds, steals, and assists. Just filling the stat sheet, playing really good defense, playing hard, uh, which I, I think is, is the most encouraging thing from him. And I just, I, you know, I, I know one of your takes earlier in the season was you doubted that he'd ever be a useful NBA player. I still think that take is on the table because we don't know if he can stay healthy. But I think you, there's no way you can't be encouraged by what Rob Williams has done over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, and I'll be the first to admit, I know it's still on the table, but I'd say that take is trending in the I'm going to be wrong direction. And I think one of the biggest things with Williams, like we've been talking about, is consistency. And now that, you know, Tice is gone and that door opened up for him and he knows that more is going to be asked from him on a game-by-game basis, you know, hopefully that kind of burns a new fire underneath him and um, you can start seeing him string together more productive performances. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. And so I want to get to, I want to kind of get our thoughts on the, on the trade deadline and what the Celtics did in a minute, but first I want to go over our negatives uh, of which I'm sure there are many, but let's just try and keep it to one. Adam, what's yours? Uh, it's just reverting back to the backbone of the Celtics, which are lack thereof. Like I know you're just recapping the thunder or the thunder, but you know, a win's still a win, especially a double digit win on the road. And then before that, they bounced back and beat the Bucs after losing to them the game prior. You know, so you're riding a two-game winning streak into back, you know, coming back home. It just so happens to be your first game in front of your home fans in over a calendar year. And then you just get pumped by, like, a team that's not very good. I know it was, I mean, just let a 20-year-old kid, I know he's built like a linebacker, but, I mean, Zion just embarrassed them. You know, and that's a game where the way this season has gone, two games should probably be considered riding high for the Celtics. So the fact that you have a level of momentum, new guys seem to be gelling well, and then you just lay an egg at home in front of your fans for the first time in over a year. I mean, that's just, that was just a soft play by the Celtics in my eyes. Yeah, I agree. It was, I mean, granted, they did make that comeback there. They won in the 15-0 run at the end of the game, but Nevertheless, it's another sort of big game. And that was a big game because it's your first game in front of fans in over a year. You're facing Zion Williamson. You got your new trade acquisition on the roster. And it's just another one where it's one of those big games and down the stretch in clutch time, the Celtics just never win these games anymore. For whatever reason, they, I feel like they used to be the team that always found a way to pull these out. Whether it was a crazy Marcus Smart winning play or any number of, of things that could happen that they'd find a way to pull it out. But now it seems like they lose all of these. They just can't come out on the right end of any of these. And that can't make you feel good about heading into the playoffs if they even qualify for the playoffs. So I'm with you. I just think the winning's not in their DNA this season. I don't think it's totally beyond them like as a group. Like I still think it's in Jalen Brown, it's in Jason Tatum, 
Kemba Walker is a winner. Marcus Smart is a winner. But sometimes just the way the pieces come together on a given year, that winning DNA, you know, that sort of toughness just never materializes. And I just, usually when that happens, it, it doesn't just arise and, and form out of nowhere in the second half of the season. So I don't think it's going to change. Maybe I'll be surprised. Um, you know, who knows? Uh, but for my negative, I'm sticking with Marcus Smart. Listen, I don't want to rehash all the stuff that we've talked about all season. I know we talked with Jared Weiss last week. He disagreed with me. Uh, I wanted the Celtics to trade Marcus Smart. I've been out on Marcus Smart for the, for the year. I think he's kind of worn out as welcome. Uh, I still like him as a player, but I just don't think he's a good fit anymore. And last night was just embarrassing, the stuff that he did against the Pelicans. I mean, we all laughed at that play where he the, – uh, and if you missed it, um, the Pelicans had .3 left on the shot clock. The Pelicans had .3 left, and there was a jump ball at center court, and the Celtics won the tip, and Marcus Smart caught it and heaved up a full-court three-point attempt – uh, which he didn't need to do because it was not the Celtics who had the three seconds left in the shot clock. So when it gave the ball back to the Pelicans, they went on a 5-0 run there. It was a five-point uh, five game at the time. So it kind of was a sneaky big play, even though it was in the third quarter. And, you know, I can forgive the play because dumb stuff happens. Mistakes happen. But it was the way, like, Marcus Smart immediately assumed there's no way he did something wrong and started arguing with Kemba Walker. And then Rob Williams had to separate them. I just thought it was just more petulant, annoying Marcus Smart stuff. Um, I didn't like the play at the end of the game where they basically – their their way of trying to get um, – to run an out-of-bounds play was to you – know, fool the officials into calling a foul or to draw an offensive foul call. I think that's a soft place to what you spoke of earlier. Then Marcus Smart right in the middle of it. And then he gets tossed at the end of the game. So I just think it was more shenanigans from him. And I'm, I just, it's, it keeps happening and, and I'm so over it. I don't know if you're starting to come around on this. Well, actually my biggest takeaway, ironically enough from that whole sequence had nothing to do with smart at all. Cause it was just too, major Celtics cliches where it was smart making a mistake that was his own fault and then you know going going into these grand theatrics because you know he didn't think he made a mistake ultra nice guy Kemba coming in the mix to try to be a peacemaker but then the thing that stuck out with me like you said was that Rob Williams of all people kind of stepped in and I kind of like to see that you know I mean he's still a young guy but you know taking on a new little leadership role um and trying to you know calm things down because that was a very important juncture of the game where the Celtics are starting to make a comeback and you know couldn't let things get off tracks uh but yeah I mean it, it, this stuff happens with smart too often and I mean you, it's tough to sometimes tough to remember that he's in what year seven now like he's he's a veteran player and I think sometimes it sets a bad example especially for a team with a lot of younger guys that are just watching and you know sit, trying to follow this guy's lead that he's you know, getting into these spats with rest with regularity and stuff like that. So it's just, it just wasn't a good look. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's, it's so complicated because at his core, I mean, I think he, he plays hard. He's a competitor. He's a good player, a good team player. All that stuff is true. It makes all these kind of intangible winning plays, but it, it, maybe it's just that all this kind of, all the other stuff that gets on your nerves gets magnified when the team isn't playing well. That might be a part of, a part of it. Maybe it's just recency bias for me, uh, but it is, it is aggravating. And I also, and this might, this is a conversation maybe for another episode, but I saw some people on Twitter last night pointing out, uh, I think Keith Smith, Celtics beat reporter was one of them that uh, 
it looks like he might mark smart might be regressing defensively he's getting um he could be screened more easily than he ever has in the past he's getting beat off the dribble more than he often had um and to you know just going off what you said maybe it's age and injuries catching up with him I, I know he's a young guy but he's been in the league for a while now and with the way he plays I just wonder if he's maybe starting to lose a step on the defensive end and that that's the case that's huge for him because he makes his, his, his money on the defensive end so I just think it's something to worth monitor going forward um but I do want to get to another negative to sort of segue into our trade uh, deadline discussion because we can't talk about bad things without talking about what Evan Fournier did last night in his Celtics debut um and there are two, a couple stats uh, I want to throw you away. Um, Evan Fournier, who scored no points last night in his first game with the Celtics, um, is the first, uh, in, in his first game with the Celtics, he had, uh, hold on, I'm reading this down. I'm getting all, all twisted around. He's the first player in NBA history in their first game with a franchise uh, to attempt more than 10 field goals, make zero of those field goals, and attempt three uh five three-pointers and miss all of those three-pointers uh he's the only person in nba history to do that in his first game so literally no place to go from uh no place to go but up and also and this is per uh elliot sports bureau he's the fourth player in the shot clock era to go over 10 or worse in their debut with a new team and the first since antoine jameson went over 12 with his in his Cavs debut in 2010 so <laughs> this was uh an, an astonishingly bad debut for evan fournier um that said, I'm overlooking it because I think he's ultimately going to be a good acquisition for the Celtics. I think he's a good player. Um, so let's carry that into our trade deadline talk. Celtics, their main acquisition, as we said, Evan Fournier um, for a couple second round picks. Jeff Teague also ended up going to the Magic and getting bought out and going to the Milwaukee Bucks, pouring out for Jeff Teague. Um, no Aaron Gordon. Uh, Celtics also didn't end up uh, signing Andre Drummond on the buyout market. That They were rumored as a finalist. Um, so overall, Adam, what is your takeaway for what the Celtics did at the trade deadline? And and include Andre Jumman in that because it, he basically is part of it. Yeah, I mean, we were talking with Jared last week that none of us really were too high or I shouldn't say not high, but none of us were like over the moon about uh, Fournier's potential fit with the Celtics. That might have been because we were juxtaposing it with Aaron Gordon's fit, who obviously would have been a way bigger acquisition for the Celtics. But the fact that Ainge was able to land him for two second round picks, which amounts to what, like a bag of basketballs in the NBA? I mean, that's just nothing. I mean, that's a deal you make anytime. And Ainge said that he would have made that deal at any point in, you know, the NBA calendar year. Um, but one big takeaway I had from uh, Ainge's comments about the trade was that while he said he didn't necessarily feel pressure to improve the roster, he did admit that he felt a sense of discouragement around the Celtics and kind of wanted to inspire hope. And that seemingly was tried to achieve by the Fournier trade. And I mean, if, if Evan Fournier is a, a person that's, you know, going to spark new energy in your team, I think that says a lot about your team. I mean, that's, yeah. just, I mean, it really is kind of just a move to make a move and yeah, he'll provide some scoring. And, but I mean, Evan Fournier's career to date has pretty much just been like, you know, nothing scoring. It's like a decent amount of points, you know, 15, 16 points a game for a team that didn't really go anywhere. I mean, what those Magic teams got to the playoffs once and just got their, you know, 
door is blown off. Right. So, I mean, it's not like he's like a veteran that comes here with, you know, a ton of playoff experience, whereas like, like Tatum and Brown have more playoff experience than him. So, I mean, it's fine. I guess like they needed scoring, but it's just in the grand scheme of things, I think the Celtics will end up in the same place that they would have been without Fournier. Yeah, I, I, well, yes and no. Like, I think they're absolutely better with him on the roster. I mean, this is a guy who's scoring 20 points a game this year. Uh, he's six, seven, he plays good defense. He's a good three point shooter. Um, if when your whole roster is healthy and you have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum out there with Kemba Walker, um, I don't know if Fournier will start over Marcus smart or whatever. We'll have to see how that, how that thing goes. You're definitely a better team, but are you better than like, like better to the point where you're ready to compete with the nets or the Sixers or the bucks? No. So I agree with you that, it, it feels like a move just for the sake of doing the move. Um, now, one aspect of this, and I, I don't want to go too far into this rabbit hole because I frankly don't understand it. It's very confusing to me. NBA salary cap stuff really confuses me. Um, John Corrales for Boston Sports Journal, I thought, wrote a really good reaction piece to the Fournier trade that explains it well if you have a chance to read it. But essentially, you know, the, the Celtics, if they don't, because they had to use part of the trade exception uh, that they acquired in the Gordon Hayward sign and trade to bring Fournier in, uh, and if they don't sign him this offseason because he's going to be a free agent because of his bird rights, they essentially can get another trade exception. So they can kind of will be in the same spot this offseason as they would have been if they never got him. Um, so that and the fact that you had to send multiple second round picks, including second round picks, picks that you sent uh, to the Hornets to also get that trade exception, you've effectively sent like four or five second round picks and Gordon Hayward to get Evan Fournier and a little bit of a trade exception. And now you might turn Evan Fournier into another trade exception. So there's just this element of kicking the can down the road and, and the bill is eventually is going to come due for Danny Ainge. And I just, I, I, I'm curious to see how he tries to get out of this one because I just think he's tr- kind of making it up as he goes. Cause he's kind of getting backed into a corner. Um, so it just, I, it's going to be interesting to see if they re-sign him or not. Um, and then if, if we're just back in the spot next year talking about a damn trade exception, which I don't want to do. Um, but I want to shift to Aaron Gordon really quick. I personally am fine with them not overpaying for Aaron Gordon. I would have traded Marcus Smart for him. I understand the argument against that. I'd have to see what the rest of the offer would have been. Um, but do you think they should have sort of done whatever it took to beat the Denver Nuggets offer and get Aaron Gordon? I don't think so. I mean, I, I would say yes, if the Celtics for the bulk of the season had kind of been lurking around and, you know, one of those top three spots in the East and were already looking like, like a legitimate championship contender and Gordon might've been the piece that put them over or really solidified their spot as a contender, but they were, I mean, they, they've been, you know, lingering around the bottom of those playoff spots and you know the the risk that would have come with a I mean the one plus with Gordon is that you have one more year with him so he wouldn't have been a a complete rental but then again acquiring him you know might have prevented you from making a separate move over the offseason you know we've heard some Bradley Beal chatter right just the way the ringer saying Celtics could go after Bradley Beal which is a whole different discussion but sure so but just the the, where the Celtics are right now I I just don't think you know giving away major pieces that could be used for a separate bigger more helpful move down the road would have 
you know, been a smart play at this point. Yeah, because I don't think you're going to compete with some of these teams that are being built with, you know, a Tatum, Brown, Aaron Gordon kind of thing. Like, you got to it, – it's going to have to be something really dramatic. I'm talking like – and I'm just throwing stuff against the wall here, you know, like moving a Jalen Brown for Carl Anthony Towns or something along those lines and pairing him up with Tatum and whoever else you might get. Like, it, it's going to have to be – something pretty significant. And yeah, Aaron Gordon doesn't get you there. I agree with you. So you don't, don't just overpay for the sake of it. Um, because it, especially if it precludes you from being able to make that move that really gets you up, um, to where you need to be. So I agree with you. I wouldn't have overpaid for him. Um, what about, uh, are you, are you sad to see Daniel Tysco? Do you care? Uh, I mean, as a, as a Bulls fan, as a, as, an, as a long-standing Bulls fan, I actually um, don't mind Tice's fit. No, I mean, I understand the move just because Tice had done enough this year that he has put himself in a position where he's not going to break the bank, but he's going to get himself a nice little contract in the offseason, and the Celtics probably weren't going to give it to him. It's probably going to be some dumb team that's going to overpay him just because it's it's a big who can kind of stretch the floor right. a little bit so i don't i don't mind them you know just trying to get some pieces for it and you know the complete collection of moves kind of suggests that Ainge is eyeing a bigger move down the road because i mean let's just call a spade a spade the the three-team trade with the wizards and uh, the bulls was just a complete you know salary shedding move so Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and just like we talked about the kind of Groundhog Day roller coaster Celtics, it's just been honestly kind of nice seeing some new blood in there, just some new faces who might be able to do some things weren't given, you know, Wagner and Cornet both weren't really given opportunities to really show their stuff with their teams prior. So, no, I mean, I like Tice, but I, I, I wasn't going to lose any sleep by him moving on. Yeah. And again, not to, go at you with all this NBA salary cap stuff. One of the, the main accomplishments with all the deals that the Celtics did was getting under the repeater tax. And, you know, that can mean a, a lot of different things, but it's just to give you one tangible example, getting under that tax could be the difference between you keeping Marcus Smart in a couple of years uh, or losing him if you're a Marcus Smart guy, if that matters to you. Um, so I think a lot of this was, you had to get under that repeater tax. And then that with the trade exception, all this kind of stuff, um, I agree with you, Danny Ainge, probably is eyeing something bigger down the road as he always seems to be who knows what that's going to be at this point um maybe it was andre drummond i don't know what the plan was there real quick uh, i personally wanted them to get andre drummond just because i was curious i just wanted to see it guy gets like 17 rebounds and 20 points a game i i was just i was curious um but what about you adam were you hoping they they were able to get him or are you fine seeing him go to the lakers yeah, I, I also was intrigued by Drummond's fit. I mean, he's, uh, as we were saying, is an absolute monster on the glass. And, you know, when you lost Tice, uh, you lost some of that. Um, just thinking about, you know, some type of defense he might have had with, you know, interior defense with both Williams and Drummond, and, you know, that would have been, you know, pretty nice. But the him wanting to go to the Lakers makes complete sense. I mean, I just feel like as a free agent, it's kind of, to me, it was kind of like the perfect fit for him, just that at this exact point right now, it's a team that actually like desperately needs him. It's yeah. like, we're, 
we're a team that's, you know, we're going to make the playoffs. We're going to make a deep playoff run once we get people healthy. But right now we don't have health and we're going to need you to kind of help us get by. Whereas the Celtics were kind of like, you know, you would help us. Maybe we'll latch on one of these spots and then who knows where we go from here. But I mean, the Lakers could be a scary team if, if Drummond now he's going to have extended, you know, as an extended role with both LeBron and AD out and he kind of finds his groove there. And then he's humming once both of those guys get back. And that's, that could be a pretty scary team. I mean, they already were before, but you think about it, if he kind of gels in nicely there, it's going to be pretty tough out. Yeah. And I, I don't blame it at all, blame him at all, because he has a chance to go to a team that is going to contend for a title and he's going to have a significant role. I mean, this isn't like LaMarcus Aldridge just going to the nets to basically do next to nothing and, and hopefully win a title. I mean, Andre Drummond could be a, a real piece to what the Lakers are trying to do. So yeah, go do it. Go, go get your title, play a lot of minutes and, um, and sort of revive your career. I don't blame him at all. I think he made the right call. I wouldn't want to join the Celtics. I was surprised he even reportedly was seriously considering it. Yeah. So, um, all right. We got a, a couple more segments to get to our weekly. Let's yell and scream and get upset about something in honor of Tommy Heinsohn. Um, Adam, why don't you go first? Before we get into that, that just reminded me, Jake King had a great tweet last night that he was just so bummed out that Tom, and I think a lot of Celtics fans and observers are the same, that just bummed out that Tommy Heinsohn's not around to make just banana land comparisons to Luke Cornett's first couple games. You know, you're probably seeing like Bill Russell comps, maybe some Wilt in there. Bill yeah, Warren. George Mikan with a jump shot. Yeah, pretty pretty much just a, like a, just a complete melting pot of the best bigs of all time. Yeah. But um, I know I kind of sound hypocritical for yelling at this now because I just touched on the, the Beal rumor a little bit ago, but it really is just getting so laughable. The Celtics are interested in name your player reports. I mean, at this yes. point, they've covered like a third of the league. Like I, I think when, when LeBron James is, you know, time is up with the Lakers. You're going to hear that the Celtics that's, you know, are, are, you know, considering making a run at him before he, you know, makes his next move. It's just like, at this point, it's almost just like, you know, the game, someone's feeding it to reporters to, you know, act like they're, you know, trying or whatever, but it's veering on just insulting even the most modest basketball observers intelligence that, you know, you can see the guys that they're into. The other ones are just kind of just a joke. So uh, it's it's just getting annoying. No, I'm with you on that. Uh, well said. Uh, my thing I want to talk about, that product last night, the Celtics and the Pelicans, absolutely sucked. I hated watching that game. It was everything I hate about the modern NBA. They And I don't even know, I don't even think this was a record. I think this there have probably been more than what happened last night. But the Celtics and the Pelicans combined to shoot 46 three-pointers in the first half of that game. They finished with a combined 74 three-pointers in that game. I mean, and I, I'd have to go back and, and check the play-by-play. I'm pretty sure the last two minutes in the first half, like seven of the last eight possessions were all three-pointers. It was just run to one end, shoot a three, go to the other end, shoot a three. The game essentially was a three-point contest and the occasional drive into the lane and get fouled. It's kind of like how baseball has become a strikeout or a home run. Uh, it sucks. It's not fun to watch. It's a terrible product. It does not. And I, I know like a, the broadcast last night for the Celtics was saying this was great because they, they had juice and the teams were playing hard. I thought that was terrible to watch. It was just a three-point competition. It wasn't good basketball. I, I don't care about the spacing and all this kind of stuff. I just, 
I'm sick of games being like this. It does not interest me at all. Um, I don't see it changing anytime soon because this is, I'm sure this is a, a product of analytics. And so it's probably here to stay. Um, but I, I can't stand watching it. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah. I mean, that is like, this is going to sound obvious to say, but that is like just the biggest thing with the live by the three, die by the three mentality is that like when teams are hot, it's so cool to watch just seeing, you know, raining threes, but it is like pound your head off the wall type of stuff when a team's cold. It's just, there's no rhythm to the game. It's just, just a constant clank fest. And it's, yeah, I mean, last night was one of those times where it was just, it was brutal. Like, almost like I kind of had to turn off the TV. Uh, and it was weird, too, because I don't even necessarily blame the teams because the Pelicans were so hot. I guess, why would you stop shooting threes? And if you're the Celtics, you're like, well, Jesus, they're, they're all they're doing is shooting threes and making them. So we probably need to start doing it, too, to keep up. So I don't necessarily fault them, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. That doesn't mean I have to enjoy watching it. And I did not enjoy watching it. And honestly, if I didn't think lay there in bed and think, well, I can't go into the podcast tomorrow uninformed because I'll sound like an idiot, I probably wouldn't have watched it because it sucked. And it was terrible to watch. So that's how I feel about it. Uh, let's finish up with around the NBA. Um, I'll kind of segue that in, or I'll, I'll, I'll start here because it's just basically functioning as another thing I want to be upset about. Uh, I am one of these people who, and i sorry, Steve Nash and everybody in Los Angeles. I hate the building of the super teams. I, it is not comparable to what the Celtics did in 2008, 2009, even though there was some of that going on. I mean, everybody's on the nets now. I mean, and I, I know some of them are maybe a little washed, but LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. I mean, that's a combined like 20 all-star appearances more than that. I mean, it's just stupid because, and it's another situation where I don't know if I totally fault the players like LaMarcus Aldridge, you never, you, you want to win a title towards the end of your career, go figure, go do that. I guess same for Blake Griffin, but for the rest of the NBA fans, for if you're not a fan of the the Lakers or the Nets right now, why would you care? Why would you even be remotely invested in this thing? Because you know how this ends and all the players have basically rigged it to be this way. I just, it's happening in sports across the board. And, and on one hand, I, 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 I'm okay with the players having more power because you don't want greedy billionaires to have all the power. None of us want that, but the byproduct is it's, there's just no, there's no, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Parody. Yeah, big words. Parody. There's no parody in these leagues anymore. And it's just about where all the stars are, are going to. And it's just, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I feel differently if this were the Celtics and they had built the super team, but probably not. I'd probably go, well, this would, if they win the title, how much, how can you really take any pride in it? Because you basically bought the thing. Um, it, it just kind of stinks. And I don't see it changing anytime soon. So I'll just add one thing to that before I, toss it to my I just thought it was so funny how quick the switch was where you know this whole season when Blake Griffin was basically wasting away with Detroit it was just every day Blake Griffin stinks he can't dunk he can't do this he can't do that and then the second he joins Kyrie Harden and KD it's like what they got Blake Griffin too, like all-star play. It was just a comp- like suddenly Blake was just this amazing player again after he was just getting bashed, you know, for so long. But yeah, I mean, the super team argument's gonna go on forever, so there'll be you know no quelling of that. Um, so I'll pivot over to mine. I'll, I'll start by asking you a question. 
would you do you think KD's Kevin Durant's a top fifteen player of all time, top twenty? Um. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the best players of all time. Kevin Durant is even better at Twitter than he is at basketball. Kevin Durant, thankfully for the for basketball fans, has been using his time away from the court to just go absolutely berserk on Twitter. Uh, he threw up just an amazing tweet the other day when someone told him to relax. He responds, "There's no relax, champ. No relax when I'm on Twitter. I'm on ten till the second I close the app. You relax." And I feel like everyone who has a Twitter and is even like close to being regularly online can relate to that mindset where Twitter is just the wild west. Stop telling me what to do with my own account. And I'm just glad that Kevin Durant as a basketball player is in a league of his own. Kevin Durant, the Twitter, uh, the, you know, tweeter, while he's also in a league of his own can relate to the common man. So yeah, Kevin Durant's in the hall of fame of both basketball and tweeting. I, I don't it, Sure. Sure. I guess my thing is if I'm one of the 15 greatest NBA players in the world of all time, and I have all the money that he does, I'm not spending a second on Twitter. And I especially am not creating burner accounts to go after people that are criticizing me. So I think Kevin Durant is soft. I think he's a terrible Twitter follow. And I think he's a loser. Well, even if you go, if you go back to like the 2010s, 2011s, he has some incredible tweets there. And I think that's why he can't get off is that he came up online the same around, you know, that perfect age like us, whereas, you know, right around the early 2010s where Twitter was just so much more fun than it is right now because it held such little weight. There's people getting off jokes and dumb thoughts and stuff like that. So he was hooked from there. He can't get away from it now. And I'm glad he's still, you know, tweeting away, getting off some gold. I, I guess. Sure. Agree to disagree. Um, all right, so we got to get out of here. Uh, I guess, you know, real quick on the Celtics, they have the Dallas Mavericks on Wednesday night uh, in Boston. And then, I mean, we got a long homestand here. We got, these are all home games coming up. Mavericks, then Rockets on Friday, Hornets Sunday, Sixers next Tuesday, then Knicks, T-Wolves, and then that's until the, uh, before the Celtics hit the road on Sunday, April 11th to face the Nuggets. So a long homestand here. Celtics, I think, have a chance to sort of get their season back. Um, sort of maybe get up to the fourth spot in the conference and create some distance. I don't believe they're going to do it, but they have a shot to do it. We'll see how it goes. Um, and there should be plenty to talk about uh, next time on the Nets and Celtics podcast. Anything else you want to add, Adam? No, let's just hope, you know, it's we're not just back here again talking about a little good and mostly bad. Hopefully it's one, at, one end or the other just, you know, so we can actually have some passion. I agree. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.